Welcome in. It's another edition of 10,000 Pitches, a podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer and beyond. What is up? It's Jeremy Rushing here with you once again for episode 24. Yeah, 24 episodes now. Can you believe it? Whether you've been with us for all 24 episodes or this is your first crack at 10,000 Pitches, thank you so, 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 so much for uh, taking the time to tune in. Give us a chance. Give us a listen. I really do appreciate it. If you like what you hear and you're not already subscribed, please do that on your preferred podcast platform. Also, if your platform allows you to leave a rating and review, as always, please do that. It's it's It really was one of the things that stood out to me when starting this podcast is how important ratings and reviews actually are for the placement of this podcast. So selfishly, obviously I want to get your feedback on the podcast, but more selfishly, I'd like to get more ratings and reviews to move us higher up the charts a little bit. So uh, yeah, ratings and reviews are huge. Please do so. Tell your friends to do so. And even if you have an iPhone and Apple Podcasts isn't your preferred platform, please go leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts if you could. That that helps our placement, helps our overall listenership exponentially uh and if you do let me know and i will shoot you the biggest thank you of all time because that is a huge huge favor you would be doing us also follow us on twitter facebook instagram at 10k pitches far more active on twitter than facebook or instagram we are somewhat active on those two but more active on twitter at 10k pitches on all the socials once again episode 24 is a big one uh because a little bit later on uh i'll be airing my little chat with michael vang if that name sounds familiar he is forward madison's midfielder he is also the first Hmong professional soccer player in the united states i want to make sure i had that phrase right he is the first Hmong professional soccer player in the united states like ever all time history making right there so and he's really good at soccer just 20 years old and had a breakout year for the flamingos was one of the most influential guys on their team so uh, i was really happy to talk to him he's also from saint paul hyper local too so i had a great chat with him about everything about his upbringing about his his love for soccer how that started he played over in europe for a while um got a you know his insight on his time in portugal so very very good well-rounded interview with michael that'll be happening just a little bit later on in the podcast uh but right now i want to go over a few storylines so minnesota united have actually clinched a playoff berth after Major League Soccer confirmed a switch to a points-per-game seeding structure. There are a few teams, more than a few teams, who won't be playing their entire slate due to having games postponed due to COVID-19. It's already such a condensed season as it is. There's really just not a lot of days to fit in postponed matches, especially if you're a team like Colorado who had, what, seven matches postponed? They're making up one of them, but that's too much. Minnesota United is going to have one match left on the table, too. They will be making up the Chicago match um, uh, next week, actually. So in light of that, in light of not all the teams being able to play a full season, MLS, instead of just going by overall points, they'll be going by points per game. And due to that, Minnesota United has actually clinched a playoff berth. Not as exciting as the way they clinched last season, right? With that Hassani Dotson stoppage time goal to uh, clinch against Sporting Kansas City at Allianz Field in front of 19,000 screaming fans. That was pretty awesome. This time, it was just a Twitter notification. It was just an email. Not nearly as exciting, but uh, such as 2020. So uh, the most 2020 way of all time to learn that you made the playoffs through an email, through a distant way 
of of discovering the information for sure. So um, the league also announced there will be no makeups or regular season games played after decision day, November 8th, and that no games would actually be taking place during the November FIFA international window too, which seems like good news. But any players traveling abroad will have to undergo a 10-day quarantine upon their return to the States. And MLS did not specify in that memo, in their competition rules, what that timetable looks like. Will there be games in that 10-day quarantine period when these guys come back to the States? So will there be opening round playoff games that don't include some of these guys that are traveling abroad? It's one thing to say you're not going to have any games during that international window, but not having a confirmation on whether that will extend 10 more days or two more weeks to make sure these guys can actually get the quarantine time in and be fit to play once the playoffs start, that is uncertain at this time. So obviously that impacts Minnesota United pretty highly when you think of Jan Gregus and his influence on the squad and what the squad looks like with him versus what they look like without him. You know, he is going to be going back to compete for Slovakia during that November international window. So will the playoff schedule be convenient enough that he will have his quarantine time in to, uh, to compete in the first round of the playoffs? Not sure. Speaking of the opening round of the playoffs, if the season were to end today, Minnesota United would actually host LAFC at Allianz Field. Minnesota United, due to the change to the points-per-game structure, actually leapfrogs LAFC from the 5 to the 4 spot. So Minnesota United is the 4, LAFC is the 5. Obviously, still a few more games left to play this season, so that could interchange, and and you know standings could, could interchange from there. But as of right now, if the season did end today, Minnesota United would be hosting LAFC at Allianz Field. And I should specify LAFC with... Carlos Vela. Yes, he has returned to LAFC, so they are pretty much at full strength, at least when it comes to their attacking front. So that would be a challenge for Minnesota United, whether they play him at Allianz or whether they play him on the road. And hosting a playoff match this season could turn out to be more important than hosting a playoff match in any other season because while there won't be fans at these games... MLS hasn't really come out and specified whether or not there's going to be a change to the travel restrictions that are happening during this season. They haven't said if, you know, the same day travel that road teams are doing for the most part uh, in the regular season, you know, travel in, compete in the game, then travel back same day. They haven't specified whether or not that's going to move into the playoffs. And I would say if there's no news on that front, that probably means it will be the same. And so if you're Minnesota United, would you rather travel to L.A.? Even if it's not same day, you're going to be traveling in a more condensed way than you normally would. Do you want to make that trip potentially same day, if not back-to-back days uh, there and back, over hosting LAFC where they're the ones who have to make that travel halfway across the country? 
I think you would choose the latter in that situation, right? So, um, you know, just very important. Again, continually important for Minnesota United to finish the season strong. And they have been strong over the last couple of weeks. They haven't looked the best on the pitch, but they have 11 points in their last five matches. In their last six matches, three draws, three wins. So it, the product on the field has not been great, but they are getting results. And they are getting results amid a lot of different inconveniences, a lot of different challenges that you wouldn't face in a normal season. They haven't just been hampered with injuries. That's been a huge issue, obviously. But the COVID postponements obviously are huge. Chase Gasper missed uh, the game against Colorado, uh, presumably due to a positive COVID-19 test because Minnesota United did announce before the game there was a positive test, but that all the other players had uh, you know, multiple negative tests in in the time between the positive test and the game. So that's why the game was able to be played. But Chase Gasper seemed to be a healthy scratch or he was the only guy left off the roster, left off the 18, who who didn't have a specific injury listed next to him. So presumably he's the one who had COVID. But again, not just COVID postponements, but losing guys uh, to, for games potentially to COVID. And then you also have this gentleman's agreement, which is the most... I don't want to say preposterous, but it is pretty preposterous, right? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, evidently in the trade that brought Kai Kamara to Minnesota from Colorado, there was an agreement made within the trade that when Minnesota United played Colorado next, Kai Kamara would not be on the roster for Minnesota United in that match. Now, this is common in loan situations. If I'm, let's say I'm Minnesota United and I loan, for lack of a better player to find for this scenario, I loan Ja'Cory Hayes to Cincinnati, right? If, if it's a loan and he's still technically my player, I will insist that he does not compete against me if we play in that time. Like, that is normal. What is not normal is... When a player is traded, when his rights, when his ownership goes from one team, completely from one team to the next, and his former team insists that he does not play in their match in order to make the trade happen, that is something that I find just absolutely ridiculous. But in the same vein, it is the most MLS thing of all time, and MLS stays MLS. And I kind of love that about MLS. So as a Minnesota United fan, obviously it was very frustrating to not have uh, your best striker on the field for a silly reason like that. But it also just underscores kind of how preposterous this league operates in general. And I also kind of love how they kind of stick to their guns in that regard. But anyways, that's just another minor thing that Minnesota United has had to navigate over this these last few weeks. And again, Last six matches, gotten results in every single one of them. Three draws, three wins, which has helped propel them now with the points per game structure into the fourth spot in the West and clinch them a playoff berth. So again, they have not really looked impressive in many stages during this stretch, but 
they're getting the results needed. They're grinding out the results needed to uh, advance and uh, potentially host a playoff match. So we'll see how they finish up. If they stay strong, they'll be in a good position to host. If they don't, they falter, you know, they're likely going on the road, which is super inconvenient in 2020. But um, either way, Minnesota United is in the playoffs for sure. That much we know. Moving down to lower league, Minneapolis City. They're making news because they hired a new director of goalkeeping in Ali Lipscher. Lipscher, one of the, I would say if you are in a lower league team looking for a director of goalkeeping, like Ali Lipscher would be like at the top of everyone's list. Because here's her resume. Four-year starter at Duke before a pro career in both the United States and Australia. And she's also currently the director of goalkeeping at the University of Minnesota and Fusion Soccer Club. So she knows what she's doing. She's also the owner of First Line Football, which is like a training center for goalkeepers. So training goalkeepers is her life. And she is bringing that expertise and bringing that desire, bringing that passion to the Crows, which is a huge, huge boost for them. And uh, from a personal standpoint, from a selfish standpoint, I really hope I can have her on the podcast in the near future uh, to talk about um, not only her role with Minneapolis City, but like I said, with the Gophers, with Fusion, and and what First Line Football is all about. Because it seems like that she is playing a major factor and is a huge influencer in uh, in soccer here in Minnesota. So would love to have her on the podcast. Hopefully, I can get her on the podcast here in the new future. Allie, if you're listening, I'll uh, be looking out for an email because uh, <laughs> I'll be uh, I'll be hoping to have you on as a guest uh, soon. And finally, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about this because I do think it's important and it's important to, especially in this day and age, show compassion and, and you know, go out of your way to brighten somebody's life who, who might need it if you have the opportunity. And the soccer community here in Minnesota has that opportunity because on Saturday, there will be a scarf and sticker drive over at the National Sports Center in Blaine for 11-year-old Alina. She is a soccer fan who recently had a brain bleed and collapsed in her home earlier this week. Um, She is in the hospital. She is recovering. But as you can imagine, due to COVID restrictions, very limited contact with anybody. I believe her parents are the only people that can visit her right now. And even that has to be done on a, you know, a limited basis. So if any one of us were in that situation, you know, we'd be down right? I mean, health, not great. And, and you're not able to really see the people who can, who can help you pull through. So, uh, what, what we're doing here is, um, Saturday, 1 PM national sports center in Blaine, a drive for soccer related scarves, stickers. If you don't have any scarves that you can part with, don't have any stickers laying around, that's fine. Um, handmade cards will also be accepted as well. I'm actually going to have our four-year-old uh, make it a little activity sh- for her to make a card uh, for Alina, and we're going to send that over too. As far as getting that stuff to the National Sports Center, if you are unable to make it to Blaine on Saturday, our Twitter DMs are open at 10K Pitches at Jeremy G Rushing. Email is too. If you have questions or you want to contribute but can't make it out there, please shoot us a DM on Twitter. Please shoot us a DM on Instagram. Please email us, and we'll be happy to try to accommodate and get uh, get your stuff over to the National Sports Center in Blaine 
on Saturday. Again, that starts at 1 p.m. I, I was just uh, messaging with Jacob. It looks like they have about 10 people there. And due to COVID stuff, you know, I don't want this to become too crowded actually at the sports center itself. But we are looking for people to donate. Um, so I will be, I will be making a donation. And again, I can bring some stuff to the national sports center for you. If you are unable to, uh, make it out there. So again, hit us up on Twitter at 10 K pitches at, uh, Jeremy G rushing is my personal one. Shoot us an email, 10 K pitches at gmail.com. Um, you know, if, if you, if you need that, uh, handled for you, or if you have any questions on how to get this stuff over at the national sports center, one more time, NSC in Blaine. 1 p.m. looking for soccer-related scarves, stickers, or handmade cards for 11-year-old Alina, who is currently in the hospital after a brain bleed uh, earlier this week. She is on the mend, but, you know, kind of needs that little pick-me-up right now, and I'm hoping the soccer community here in Minnesota can help can help her. So any questions at all, again, at 10K Pitches on Twitter, at Jeremy G. Rushing on Twitter, 10kpitches at gmail.com is the email address as well would definitely uh, appreciate your contribution to this worthy worthy cause all right that is it for the intro segment here and now my interview with forward madison fc midfielder and st paul minnesota's own michael vang michael thank you so much for taking some time to join the show this week i appreciate it thank you for having me so before we get into some of your background and the history you made this season with the Flamingos, I just want to know what it was like kind of navigating this crazy, unprecedented season as a player. Uh, it, it was a lot. Uh, obviously, it being my rookie season and coming in, you're just eager to play and stuff like that. But with COVID, you know, happening out of nowhere, you, I kind of had like a, a setback with, you know, playing and stuff like that. Um and obviously I couldn't play the first three games due to my international paperwork not being done. Uh-huh. So that also kind of, it, it kind of had, it showed me to be mentally strong, I guess, when I, yeah. when I go to training, knowing that I'm not going to get a play yet and just going into training uh, focused and just trying to get better and waiting for my chance when it comes. I think that was kind of the, one of the hardest things I had to do this season was it were you kind of expecting that the paperwork wasn't going to be done in time for you to play or was that a surprise to you it was a surprise because it was like a week before the first game against north texas and uh they they called me in and said i there's a chance that we can get it done before but most likely i probably would miss the first three games and then after each game the first game the second game they were saying it was going to get done but it just never did so um I had to wait to the the transfer window opened up again for for me to finally get the paperwork in and you know for it to be done and I mean it it was it was hard because you know seeing them travel and go play games without you and stuff like that you know not being able to help the team it, it's hard to see. I can imagine. Um, we'll get back into the into the season here in a little bit, um, but but background wise, you were born in St. Paul, later committed to playing soccer here locally at Shattuck St. Mary's during high school. But 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 between that, before joining Shattuck, when did that love and attachment to soccer really begin? And when did you start to realize that like, oh, this is something I could potentially pursue professionally? Um. Well, growing up, I usually just played because I loved playing. Um, <laughs> my dad showed me the Shaolin soccer movie. I'm not sure if you know about it, yep. but uh, yeah, that's how it kind of started. And then I've just been playing outside in my backyard every day, probably 
six hours a day in the backyard <laughs> ruining the grass. It's all yeah. dirt now. <laughs> and, um, I think I didn't really think about playing professionally until I was 14 when I got called into my first national team camp. And that's kind of when I was like, I could probably, you know, maybe I could do this for a living yeah. and, you know, try to, you know, pursue this. So that's when I started taking things more seriously and, you know, just putting in extra work and being more disciplined with my training and stuff like that. That's kind of how I think that's kind of where it started for me. Was that surprising when you got that call or at that point, were you kind of at the point where, you, where maybe that was, that was, you know, a potential route for you? That, that was the goal that year when I was 14. Um, I had, cause I, we did a lot of us training centers uh, in in Minnesota where it was just a lot of Minnesota kids would come and train together and you'd have a, a national team scout come and watch and stuff. So they, I mean, they gave me good feedback and stuff. And I was playing with Minnesota thunder at the time in the, the U14 DA. And um, it was after a game against Chicago fire. He told my coach, the scout told my coach, Mark Ewell, he was like, Hey, like if, you know, he keeps this, he keeps this up. And if he does good at the the showcase in the summer, then maybe, you know, we give him a call into the camp. And then that was just kind of my goal to just make the national team camp that year. And gladly I did in the summer. So I actually just talked to Mark last week on the podcast. Uh, we talked about guys like Caden Clark, his son, Jackson, obviously um, your, your time at MTA. I mean, was that kind of a big developmental time for you? And, and who were the guys that you were kind of playing with and against on the pitch there? It was a big, a, a big uh, step up for me too, because Mark Hill, obviously, Mark's a great coach. He, uh, for my team, he kind of, I guess, formed the team around me, kind of built built the team around me. You know, I had guys play with me and stuff like that, and made it easier for me. And um, the guys I played with, Caden was a little younger than me at that time. Uh, Jake Swallen, he's at Wake Forest right now. Yep. Um, Martin Sanchez, he is at I think NIU. I'm not I'm not too sure. I don't remember, but I mean there there are a couple of guys that are playing Division One right now. Um, at the camp, like the the guys that I played with and stuff like that, it was like Timothy Way at the camp uh, and yeah. Carlton. All those all those big names right now, uh, they're yeah. all there. Um, but yeah, that's those are the those those big names that we, we competed against uh, MTA. How much would you attribute that time to kind of developing and, and being at the level that you're at right now? It, it was a, like that played a big part in my development. Uh, MTA, it kind of, it showed me how to, it matured my game. I would say uh, a lot, you know, being there and uh, you know, Mark and the other coaches, them, you know, really showing me the game, like, in more detail and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think when I, when I was 14, especially my, my first year there, um, Mark really helped me a lot by not only giving me playing time since I was probably the younger, the youngest guy there on that team at that time, but mm-hmm. he also, he also gave me a lot of confidence to, to play. And, and especially the, my second year there, he, that was when he basically made the guys play around me and stuff like that. Like, you know, like I was the guy that they wanted to go to and give the ball to and stuff. So I think that, that played, that gave me a lot of confidence throughout the years. 
Definitely. I mean, time on the ball at that age when you're developing is so crucial. So um, obviously yeah, play, yeah. plays a huge role. So after MTA during your high school years, you move over and play for Shattuck St. Mary's. Um, I've had Sean Boucher, boys director on the podcast before too. Um, you know, what, what was your time like there and kind of, again, kind of continuing the theme, how much did that play a role in your continued development as that was kind of the bridge to you moving over to Europe? I think, I think, you know, Sean Boucher is a great coach. He's probably one of my, my, uh, best coaches I've ever had, uh, his passion and everything for the game. It's, it's incredible. He also played a big part. He gave me so much confidence in my game and uh, he made me see things that I couldn't see myself. You know, he Mm -hmm. gave me the freedom to do whatever I wanted to and and stuff like that. And, you know, he always tell our guys to, you know, find them, give them the ball and stuff like that, which also is just a big confidence booster right there. But I think, I think, I think being at Shattuck, it all, it helped me mature as a person on and off the field because, mm-hmm. you know, you're living there by yourself and yeah. it's basically like college. Um, but yeah, I think my time at Shattuck, it helped me grow as a person. So speaking of college, you committed to playing at the University of the Pacific uh, after your time at Shattuck, but then decided to forego college to play over in Portugal. What went into that uh, decision specifically and how difficult was that for you? Um, it, it was difficult cause I was giving up a scholarship, uh, yeah. to play. So that was the most difficult part, but I think it was just, uh, you know, this is a, a chance that you probably can't pass up and it won't come around. So, I mean, I was just like, if I, if I take the chance, who knows what can happen? You know, it's in Europe. Uh, this more like the sport over there is more popular so there's more scouts watching there's more you know opportunities that could probably happen i won't know and um my my dream is to play professionally so that's why i took that uh took i took the opportunity to go over there and i mean i wouldn't say i regret going over there and like foregoing college but it's a i learned a lot over there um obviously things didn't work out um mm. it could have been either me not showing enough for the coaches or you know just I don't I don't know what what happened what played into it but I mean I don't regret going and the decision the decision I made um because it I I obviously learned a lot from it and I think it helped me get mentally stronger especially um on and off the field as you mentioned, the time in Portugal didn't exactly work out, but obviously you still developed during your time there. Uh, what was that biggest lesson you learned and what have you taken most from that experience and, uh, you know, taken with you as you moved uh, back here stateside and with forward Madison? Um, I would say uh, just knowing that, like just believing in my capabilities and hope knowing that there's someone out there that uh, will take a chance on me. I just got to meet the right person. Um, I knew that I have the ability to play at this level and play professionally. I just needed that person to see me and give me a chance and stuff. And, you know, being over there, there was a lot of, a lot of downtimes I had where I, you know, I just wanted to come back and, quit and not play anymore but I had my siblings and my family there supporting me and huge you know just 
yeah, it just helped me. It just was a big push for me to keep going and stuff. You know, that's why I came back. I was motivated to do something when I came back. I didn't want to just stop playing. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how um, everything happened. Just being mentally strong. I think that's the most, that's the biggest lesson. How long after you came back, did you get the call from Ford Madison? How long was that time period? Uh, like a month and a half, like a month about, yeah. Like, um, Cause my brother, Brian, he's playing yep. at Michigan stars right now yep. in the Mesa league. Uh, he just graduated from green Bay and his coach, he got invited to Ford Madison's uh, invite combine. And yep. When I came back, I was going to go to UCLA because I was talking with them. We we're about to work something out. And uh, I asked my brother if he could help me get into that invite combine. And him and his Green Bay coach actually called uh, Daryl Shore, who was, who was the coach at the time, to, to help me get in. And it's kind of how it started. So it was, it, was a big, it was a big thank you to my brother and his Green Bay coach for sure. So how committed were you to UCLA before you got the chance to go to forward Madison? Like, were you, like, were you signed on the dotted line and ready to go or were you just in kind of verbal talks with them? Yeah, we were just verbal because we're still working out like a a financial package and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, it wasn't like anything close to signing, but we were just, we were talking. Yeah. Got it. Um, So signed with forward Madison before the season started officially becoming the first Hmong professional soccer player in the U S um, how long has that been on your mind as, you know, your potential to be the one to break down that barrier and how did it feel once you had that opportunity? Uh, I don't really think about it. Um, yeah. there's a lot of people in the Hmong community that do think about it. And like, there's always debates on like, Oh, like who's the best or, you know, who's the first, who's the second. Like, I don't really pay too much attention to that. Cause you know, I don't really, I don't, want that to get to my head or anything like that but um I mean it's a great it's a great feeling being the first because you have a lot of young kids that look up to you and want to be like in your shoes and stuff like that so I'm just trying to set a, a role model and a I'm just trying to be a role model and you know set a good example for all those youngsters coming up so obviously with you being the first when you were growing up you know, stateside at least, there wasn't a lot of Hmong representation in soccer. So who who were your role models growing up? Who did you look up to? Um, and, and who did you try to kind of mold your game to to be like? As like a childhood, like yeah. friends yeah. and stuff like uh, yeah. There's this, this guy, his name is Kapow. Uh, he's Karen. I'm not sure if you know the Karen community uh, in Minnesota. is a big population there. Mm-hmm. Um we grew up playing together. He's about like three or three, four years older than I am. Um, he just, the way he was playing, I was watching him play and then hit the, the skill, the power he had, the speed and everything, like the flair, like all, he had everything uh, I wanted to, to replicate uh, growing up. And that was kind of the guy that, you know, I wanted to be. So like you said, now you're that, you're that kid that, you know, young Hmong uh, potential soccer players are looking up to, uh, you know, uh, how does it feel to kind of be that? And, you know, as you went through the season, you kind of solidified yourself as a, as an impact player for forward Madison. Um, I guess question is like, did you know coming in what your role would be as that kind of player? Or were you even surprised with the impact that you had? Um, I wouldn't say as surprised. Um, 
before I signed, uh, I was the talk I had with the coach, you know, he kind of said that, you know, he'd want to, he didn't bring me in to sit on the bench or anything like that. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, he, he had a lot of trust in me and I think that's what kind of boosted my confidence and he believed in what I could do. And, um, but yeah, I think I was prepared, I would say for, you know, coming into the season. Um, I feel like it was kind of just like a, uh, I, don't know, I don't know how to say it, but like just letting everything go, I guess. Um, yeah. I kind of felt like I've been holding everything in uh, the past couple of years, trying to make it to this, to this stage. And I think finally letting everything go and just expressing myself on the field, it was, it was a great feeling. Speaking of feelings, how did it feel scoring your uh, first goal for Ford Madison as American Pro? That was, that was crazy. That was crazy. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was, everything was happening so fast. I couldn't really like, like, it was a blur if you think about it because I score and then I start running to this, to the right <laughs> corner flag. And then I look back and the, the ball's in the net. So I just start running over there and then everyone's screaming my name and like all my teammates are screaming. I, <laughs> and I jump up and then you do like got everyone yelling that I look in the stands and, and everyone's just like jumping up and down. And then there's like a, you get the adrenaline rush going through and everything. It's, it was, it was a great feeling. Probably one of my, my favorite moments of the season. Did you have a celebration in mind for how you were going to celebrate that first goal or did just kind of all, all go no, away? That, that just happened. Yeah. I, it was just whatever <laughs> I was feeling. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't really have any like a typical celebration. Yeah. But that one, it was just, uh, I don't know. It was just whatever I was feeling. Cause it was just, there's too much emotions going on. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Uh, Ford Madison, world famous at this point for their kit designs and merchandise and stuff like that. Uh, did you get to see the drip kit before it went public? And what was your reaction when you saw it for the first time and knowing you're, that's something you're going to be putting on and wearing in, in a game? I actually didn't know. I don't think anyone okay. on the team knew yet besides uh, my roommate who went to go and model for the kit. Uh, he did a photo yeah. shoot. <laughs> and uh, he came back. He was like, yo, like, the new jerseys we got, you know, they're so nice. I was like, I was like, let me see. He was like, I can't show you right now. Oh, I, gotta post it. <laughs> I didn't you, like, give you a peek or anything like yeah. that. So we had to Man. wait until they posted it, and then that's when everyone that's when everyone saw it, and it was it was crazy. I think that's probably one of the coolest jerseys I've ever worn. So how long were you waiting on pins and needles then to see the thing before you know from when you first heard about it? I I think that was just like a day later they oh, they okay. showed it. Yeah, but. Man, it, it was crazy. I mean, I had everyone, like all my friends and and family, saying, "Oh, like give me the drip kit jersey." And stuff. <laughs> I was like, I was like, too much, too many. Too Not many. there yet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, any any other forward Madison merchandise that you just had to get your hands on? I mean, do you get like a player discount at the merch store? And uh, have you yeah, bought yeah. anything or something like that? Yeah, we do, we do. Um, there's a lot. They have a lot of stuff. Like, there's a lot of cool hoodies and especially I don't know if you've seen the goalie jersey that they just came out. Oh with. my gosh! Like, yeah. Like I don't know how they come up with these designs, but I mean, it's crazy. Um, yeah, no, we do get like a a discount on everything at the store. So. 
That's good. My my soccer jersey drawer in my dresser is like overflowing at this point. I can't. I can like barely push it closed. So I I have to like resist on some of that newer stuff. But it's so hard, man. It's so hard not to hit that buy button because especially with Ford Madison, then we have Minneapolis City here in the Twin Cities that comes yeah, out with cool stuff yeah. all the time. It's like it's so difficult not to just buy all of it up. But got to try to resist a yeah. little bit. Uh, last question here for you, Michael, and I appreciate you again taking the time. So we've seen the growth of American soccer, both here domestically with the rise of MLS and USL, and then, of course, on the international stage with all the American talent across Europe. You know, we've already talked about some of the guys you played with during your uh, youth national team camp. Uh, personally, what's your goal when it comes to your soccer career? Is it MLS? Is it going back to Europe? Is it just to keep playing? You know, you know what do you see as that goal, and, and what are you kind of striving to achieve with your soccer career here? Um, I, right now it's just trying to move up the leagues, um, uh-huh. either a championship next year or MLS or whatever, you know, in the next couple of years. Um, that's just, that's just my goal. I'm not really too worried about, you know, the next 10 years. I'm just worried about the next season. So, I mean, hopefully I can move up to championship or if, you know, or stay another year at Madison, you know, uh-huh. um, I think right now the I'm just focused on my development and what's best for me. Um, so who knows what can happen in the next couple months. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's going to be a big, like really important next couple of months. So um, yeah, that's just my goal. Just slowly moving up the ranks each year, trying to get better and hopefully whatever comes, comes and, and I'll jump on it. Can you confirm that you're in any uh, talks or negotiations with championship clubs at this point? I cannot. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Just had to ask the question. Uh, Michael Vang, forward Madison midfielder, St. Paul, Minnesota, born and raised. Uh, I appreciate the time, Michael. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk again soon, all right? Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.